play at the Naira Betts Kentucky Derby Bankroll Builder. This Saturday, bet $50 on one horse to win the Rebel Stakes at Oaklawn with the Naira Betts app. Win or lose, get $20. Play all five upcoming Bankroll Builder races with Naira Betts and earn up to $100 in bonuses for the Kentucky Derby. New to Naira Betts? Sign up today with promo code REWIND200, that's R-E-W-I-N-D-2-0-0, and earn a $200 sign-up bonus. Start playing today at NairaBets.com or download the NairaBets app. And don't forget, you contest players out there, we have the Saturday NairaBets online contest, $300 buy-in, cash prizes. Registration ends each week Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern. Welcome to Episode 82 of Red Bull Rewind. My name is Spencer Luganbuehl, and today my special guest is the one and only Naira man himself, Andy Serling. Me and Andy go over four races from Saturday's big Gotham Day card at Aqueduct. Those races are all four stakes, six, seven, eight, and nine. And some angles that we talk about are why distance and track conditions are possible overused angles and why speed pass from the Tom Fool seems to run two different types of races. All that and much more. This is Red Border Rewind. It's the same old story. And now I'd like to welcome in my special guest for this week, Naira's very own Andy Sterling. Andy, how are you today? I'm doing well, Spencer. Thanks for having me on. Glad to have you on. Excited from uh, this past week of racing, a lot of the Kentucky Derby trails starting to finally, you know, maybe get figured out here or there after these uh, one crazy result, obviously, from New York that we'll talk about later on in the show. How was your Gotham day? It was great. You know, it, it, was, um, it was a welcome breath of fresh air I, I gotham day has always felt to me like a, a sort of window into uh you know the better parts of racing starting you know we're, we're, we're getting through winter uh you're getting close to turf racing and, and getting close to getting back to belmont and even aqueduct in april and and, and some big races and, and it feels like it's always kind of a, a time when we're welcoming in the, the new year of racing in New York. And I thought that uh, our races, the stake races throughout the day, really didn't disappoint us. We saw some very nice performances. I can't agree with you more there. I, I, I love that you say that it kind of feels like it's the beginning of the year, like the beginning of, you know, getting back on the turf. I know for me, everyone talks about how good the uh, the fall season is at Aqueduct, and then I feel like a lot of people, you know, don't, you know, hammer down on the winter season but it's it's hard when you have racing at Gulfstream and it's just hard to kind of get the field sizes up and running and you know if there's not 12 horses in every single race people have something to complain about I guess well that's the beauty of horse racing there's always something to complain about I think coming from just obviously us being handicappers and stuff it's always something either to complain about or just it's, it's always not an argument but that's the thing that kind of brought me to horse racing to begin with was it was always my opinion versus your opinion but Afterwards, if you couldn't learn why your opinion may have been wrong or maybe misguided, that's what kind of hurts you in the long run is, be- is becoming better. Well, I, I, I agree. I mean, there's there's a lot of aspects to following horse racing. And, you know, uh, a lot of us like the handicapping and, and the gambling angle and, 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 and the betting and sort of figuring things out. And, and that's what drew me to the game in the, in the beginning. 
Um, I, I love the horses. I love the races as well. And there's certainly plenty of race you don't bet and plenty of things to talk about. Um, it's easy to focus on negativity while ignoring all the positives about it. And unfortunately, you hear too much sort of negativity and, and, and failing to, to, to sort of focus on some positives. I don't think you should be unrealistic, but I don't think that, you know, there, there's always, like I say, there's always something that somebody, somebody, if they want, can always find something to complain about. And there is things to complain about, but there's also plenty of things to talk about that are positive. I think, too, just, you know, people have recently been talking about, you know, oh, did horse racing do well enough, you know, during the last year for what, what it was, you know, trying to get new players in the game. And I think that they did a good job. Could they have done better? Absolutely. But for people, I think, to say, oh, it was a downright epic failure, I think we did very well. I think we had a lot of stuff on TV. I think a lot of people learned and, you know, we gave people the right filter and how to, you know, become a racing fan. I don't. I haven't heard anybody say it was an epic failure. I, I hate to think that somebody would have that bad an opinion. Uh, I'd like to think it was one of those rare times where we did a, a number of things right. Uh, you know, it's race racing managed to, there was racing, I think, pretty much every day throughout mm-hmm. the pandemic, at least somewhere. And we were able to open safely um, tracks around the country in late May, early June. We ran in Saratoga. I mean, obviously the fan situation was something that was beyond our control and was beyond anyone's control really because of the pandemic and but as far as keeping the racing going and keeping the industry going and uh giving it to people as much as we could at least through our broadcast we brought an enormous amount of racing to people during the entire pandemic so i'd like to think we did a decent job and you know it's 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 a struggle it's a it's a complicated game to explain to people it's not as complicated as some people think it is but sometimes people overcomplicate it but I don't know. I thought racing did a pretty good job. I don't want to run around patting ourselves in the back, but as a whole, I, I, yeah, I thought it went pretty well. We, you know, we, 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 we're our own worst enemies in a lot of cases, but, but that doesn't mean we don't do some things right. I tend to agree with you more on that side of here. And a lot of times I think when people were saying, oh, we could have done better, that guy had probably just, you know, gotten a beaten by a bob and a pick five or a pick six for all we know. <laughs> <laughs> Like I said, always somebody to complain about. <laughs> One thing I also wanted to bring up with you, being uh, with that background with Wall Street and obviously uh, having stocks be somewhat, you know, in the limelight recently with all the GameStop and stuff like that and people, you know, collecting rather large sums. Do you think being on Wall Street helped you with the wagering side of the game a lot more? Like, I think for me, having the bankroll management from my poker background really helped me learn to not, you know, throw too much money on a sequence that maybe I didn't like as much, whereas other people will go, they will go four or five deep just to try and cash that ticket. Well, my, my, my quote, wall street, unquote background wasn't in stocks. It was in trading options Mm -hmm. and options are more of a games mentality and mathematics. I, I, my opinion on stocks is no different or better than anyone that knows very little about it. I, you know, I could take a broad overview and find the whole GameStop thing sort of scarily amusing. Mm-hmm. And you say some people made a lot of money. A lot of people are going to lose a lot of money as a result of GameStop. Yes. You won't hear about it as much. You know, GameStop is, a, is, a, is probably a game of musical chairs. Eventually, there's going to be two people in only one chair. And as far as, you know, whether or not my background trading options helps me as a horse player, I don't know, maybe my, my background playing the horses helped me as an options trader. Maybe, you know, I was, I was, I was banging the horses long before I started trading options. It's more of a, a mathematical concept. I like math. And, um, 
So I think that's what drew me to options. There's the gambling element. There's the games element. There's the game theory element. But it's it's really more math than anything else. I'm not. I don't have a any affinity or I've never shown an absolute or interest in really stock evaluation. Um, it's it's more pricing options and understanding option strategy and things like that. But that's that's more of a of a probability and statistics concept. And in theory, that should help me as a horse player. I don't know, lately, it doesn't feel like anything's helping me. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 had a... I think that, you know, that there's, there's a, I think a lot of people equate anybody who works on Wall Street as somehow being involved in trading stocks or understanding stocks. I, that's not true. That's a misnomer. That's good to know on my end. I had a case with Courtney on last week, and a question I asked her was, one overused angle in racing and one uh, overused angle. And I was wondering if you had anything to add to that idea. You know, I don't, I don't know. That's, that's, a, that's an interesting question um, because I don't know exactly what other people look at. I would say things that people look at that I think are distractions are distance okay. and track conditions. I think people dramatically, some people, and I don't ever, I don't want to speak in generalizations because there'll be plenty of people listening to your show that say, why am I being included in that group? Because I, I agree with that. Or fine, they disagree with me. I don't have an issue with that. But from my perspective, I think focusing, over-focusing on wet track performances, in general, horses handle racetracks wet and dry pretty much similarly. And it's more a function of race dynamics or race flow and situations that are going to count performances much, much more than a track condition and distance. I think people get overly caught up in distance. Yeah. There are going to be horses that are sprinter types that aren't going to be as effective going longer. There are many more of those probably than horses that are more effective going longer that can cut back in distance and do well. So I think people, I think it, sometimes people try to cut it too fine. I think this horse can go six and a half, but boy, I wouldn't want to bet him at seven. I don't even know what that means. You know, <laughs> he's good at a mile, but he's never going to get up at seven furlongs. To me, that's confusing. So I think distance and track condition might be something that people, some people focus on too much and or incorrectly. I think a horse just that I remember from listening to just the podcast in general was exaggerator. Everyone said, Oh, he's a one turn horse. And I feel like just that statement of, Oh, one turn versus two turn. That's I, crap. It's, I don't understand That's how crap. they can just say this horse can only go around one turn. And then as soon as there's an extra turn involved, he becomes confused to me. The horse is just going to go around both turns. And when someone goes, Oh, my only angle in this race was this is the only one turn horse and the rest of them are two turns. There's something else in the race that obviously helped this horse win. I just think that that's a hugely overused angle as right. well. Right. The, the same horse that can get a mile and eighth around one turn can't do it around two. I mean, I would say that the difference is that as a genera generalization, I, I don't like to make all of them, speed horses trying to go long rate to be more effective going two turns because the paces are usually slower mm -hmm. and you look at a mile and eight and there aren't that many tracks and there's belmont park you can run an elongated sprint you know mile and eighth mile and 16th around one turn that second quarter and you can you've seen it i mean i know you've seen it and anyone that looks at the races <laughs> looks at fractions has seen it that second quarter will invariably heat up if there's any kind of pace pressure any kind because you've got a long straightaway so they're going to get going faster they don't have the turn to slow down so i think that you could if you wanted to generalize, you could say that a one-turn route would be better for a closer than a two-turn route. 
That's the one thing I might say, because it's probably more of a race dynamic situation. But Spencer, I couldn't agree more with you. That one turn, two turn thing, it makes my head want to explode. Overused one that Acacia brought up was jockeys and trainers being bet. Obviously, you know, for me, my career of going to Saratoga, Ramon Dominguez, Pletcher. Now it's probably more of, you know, Irad and Chad Brown. And, you know, I'd walk around from the bet squad booth and just walk around. Everyone would say, hey, Spence, you know, this is the place that Chad Brown built. And I'm like, he's been doing it for three years. Guys. This place has been around <laughs> been for a hundred years. years. I love him. <laughs> <laughs> I think he would. I think if you said that to him, he would laugh hard. <laughs> and, I even think Todd Fletcher would say, you know, I've, I've been around for 25 years. There's a lot of history before me. And you just, get a game. <laughs> just... And I would always get a chuckle out of him. And of course, that it would be like that race where Chad would beat them out for some type of you know wager or whatever. But I I, I do get the sense that you know people do they like to just bet. They see twenty percent on the page and they're just like, this guy must be good. He must you know if he's good enough to win two out of ten, you know he might be good in this race. And I feel like a lot of people the the price is baked in based on the jockeys and trainers. If you see Asmussen and Santana at Saratoga, that horse is going to be bet. Yeah, I, 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 she's you're right and she's right. Those are the two stupidest ways to, to, to bet successfully. I mean, I understand if somebody doesn't really know anything about the game and they go out to Cerdo with some friends and they want to have a few drinks and have some fun, they're going to bet on Todd Fletcher or Chad Brown. They just decide, you know, I'm going to bet Todd Brown. I get it. I, I do. I get that. But I think we're talking about understanding the game at a very different level than they may be interested in. The hope is that the more people you expose, listen, you know, I think there was that, Jerry Garcia once said that the Grateful Dead are like licorice. <laughs> um, a lot of people don't like it, but those that do like it a lot. And I think that's true about horse racing. You know, we can expose it to, to, a, to 100 people. And my hope is that there's one or two people in there that didn't realize how much they love the game. And they're going to listen to what's being said. And they're going to realize the things that you see about the game or I see about the game or Acacia or other people, you know, that have made it so interesting to us. Um, and so the more you expose to it, the more people that might have never realized that they never realized how much they like horse racing. They just never got the exposure to it. That number is going to be a very small percentage, but the idea is if we can get it to millions of people that haven't seen it before, we'll create some new fans. And that's the idea. And Saratoga is the perfect venue for that. So I get people looking, looking at trainers and jockeys. I looked at jockeys when I first went to the track, but my interest quickly grew into more relevant things. Um, the reality is the stupidest thing in the world you can do is just bet horses because of jockey and trainer. But, you know, in, in doing my job, I've learned a lot in the time I've done my job, not just about racing and handicapping where you're sort of always trying to evolve, but in what other people look at. And I realize there's a lot of public handicappers that will pick high percentage trainers a significant portion of the time because they know that by doing that, they're going to win a relatively high percentage of their picks. And they don't even care about the prices. They don't care about enlightening the public. They just worry that, you know, oh, if I don't pick a certain number of winners, people are going to say I suck. Whereas the discerning people aren't worried about that stuff. They're more than somebody who might have an idea of a horse at a bigger price, a horse that's a little off the radar, explaining why they like that horse and the concept that might be used in another time. Anybody can say, you know, Bet on Chad Brown, he's winning at 24%. Win at Todd Pletcher, you know, win at Brad Cox. Well, sure, but that's those guys don't have positive ROIs overall. I think, too, just looking at even using the daily racing forum, Dave Litvin back in the day was probably a high 30, 32%, you know, top pick 
uh, selection winner. Whereas now you see Mike Beer come in and just, you know, he I see a lot of his picks in there, you know, six, seven, eight to one. Well, the thing that people don't realize is he might only be two for 10 on the day. But if he hits two of those eight to one shots, guess what? He's ROI positive for the day. Yeah, Mike, Mike Beer is somebody who, and I disagree with Mike a lot. I love doing the show with him. He's, he's one of my favorite people in racing. And I think he's, you know, got a very, very good way of looking at races, even though we disagree a great deal. Um, but right. Mike, Mike is approaching it as a better and trying to create an interest. And, and I think you're going to, um, wet people's appetite for racing much, much more and much. I think we'd like to show it to everybody, but the reality is that, as I said, only a very small percentage are going to have the aptitude and interest to take it further. Those are the people, in my opinion, we need to be catering to because the other people, we can dumb it down for them. And that's fine. At a certain level, you want people to understand what you're talking about, what you're showing. But those people, no matter how much you what you, how you present it to them, they're not going to become serious about betting on the game. And at the end of the day, there's two groups we need to cultivate, owners and bettors. Because they are the people that put their money up that sustain the game. They sustain the ecosystem that we're part of. They pay me. They pay the trainers. They pay the riders. These are all, and it's betters. So we need to create betters. We're not going to create betters by dumbing the game down, in my opinion. We're going to create betters, in fact, by talking to people at a higher level because the people who are going to become betters are going to be people that want to learn. So they're going to listen to the higher discourse. And those are the people, at the end of the day, in my opinion, we should be catering to. I'm not saying that we should do it at the... Um, exclusion of other people, but you have to be able to talk and help people that go, okay, I got their names and I got the hype and the crap, but I want to know about handicapping. What do I really need to know? You know, what do you mean? What trips, you know, what do you mean about race flow and that crap? That's the stuff. I think these are the people that we need to, at the end of the day, be talking to. Well, hopefully we can give them some tips going through a couple of the stakes races from this past Saturday. The first race we're going to go over is race number six from Aqueduct. It was the 250,000 Busher Invitational going one mile on the dirt. What were some of your ideas in here, Andy? Well, you know, from a race, if you sort of step back from it, it had a very slow pace, but a very fast finish. And the reality is the two best horses ran one, two in here and by a significant portion. I think Miss Brazil showed that under the right circumstances, she has the stamina to get longer distances. She's probably more likely to be a test Oaks type, a text acorn type Philly than, you know, um, a, a Kentucky Oaks, Alabama type Philly. And there's no shame in that. She's been fast before she was fast in here. She ran well, but search results who won the race, in her second start, she took a very big step forward from a feed figure standpoint. She broke much more sharply in this race than she did in her debut. And I thought she showed a lot of promise. I, I think the first two finishers in this race right now are two of the better three-year-old fillies in the country. I don't know if that list is six or ten. But, you know, Vequist came back last week and stunk the joint up. So did the Belmont horse, Neil Foyle, who was in that race. We haven't even seen... Uh, day at the office or day out of the office, what, whatever name is. Um, we have the present winner was second, the Breeders' Cup. Um, so the California contingency, they did okay in the race. I think the winner got an 87. This race, I think, got an 84 buyer. Um, but in general, I think these horses are right in the conversation with some of the better three-year-old fillies in the country. The others, they're just not as good. But that's not that surprising. The winners and the second horse were the second and first choice by a reasonable amount. 
I, I think, too, like when, when you look at this from like a, of the preview standpoint, when I was looking through, you know, Miss Brazil to me, I think when you see that 93 flash on the page, first time dirt, then the uh, big decline, second time out, but off of a layoff. I just wonder if Anthony obviously only being 8% of the year, but then 29% here, maybe if the barn was just heating up a little bit and knowing that she has that extra gear that she can improve a little bit, that she might be one that, you know, could have improved in this race and obviously did. And then looking at a horse like search results, I just I've always liked the old uh, Dave Litfin angle of shipping up from Gulfstream during the February and March months. That you know, all of a sudden maybe they dim down that hot area and then they get this nice cold you know winter air in their lungs. And the way he always said was that you'd always be surprised how many ship up and win sometimes you know four or five in a week sometimes. Let's listen to John Embryo's call of the Busher right now. And they all came away to a good beginning. Search results is there. Miss Brazil now moves up from her inside post position. And on the outside, it is Mo Desserts. Miss Brazil has a narrow lead. Mo Desserts, search results in between horses. And then on the outside, it is Make Mischief, who is running in fourth. Lauban on a prayer. And the grass is blue. And the three-year-old fillies race up the backstretch. And Miss Brazil leads here by a head. Search results right there on the outside in second. The quarter went in 24 and two-fifth seconds. On the outside is Mo Desserts, who's running in third. Lauban on a prayer. Down at the rail, runs in fourth. The grass is blue in fifth. And Make Mischief in sixth. Four lengths separates the field of six as they move for the half-mile pole. It is Miss Brazil by a half-length. Search results on the outside in second. Miss Brazil in front now by a full-length. Search results continues to race in second through a half in 49 and 3. Lauban on a prayer is down at the rail. The grass is blue. Now begins to move. And on the outside is Mo Desserts. At the back of the pack is Make Mischief. And they're coming for the quarter pole now with Miss Brazil holding on to the lead over search results. Down towards the rail is Lauban on a prayer. The grass is blue, is now coming on and moved to the outside. As they move down for the eighth pole, it is Miss Brazil challenged here on the outside by search results. And it's a battle in the stretch here in the busher. Now a 16th to the finish. Miss Brazil on the inside. Search results on the outside. The two of them fight on to the finish. And search results wins it by a neck at the end. And the number three search results gets it done, paying 630 with an 84 buyer. Like you had said, Andy, the top two kind of got it done properly. And when you see the board kind of look like this from a wagering standpoint, and you see Miss Brazil being under 2-1, to one, they were pretty much the same price when you look at it at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, you know, the best two horses, I think whether you end up having a good or bad opinion in a race is, is secondary. I think when you're running bigger races and – the busher really should be graded at this point. I mean, this was a, a, the best ungraded stake will run. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to think it'll be graded next year after this kind of race. Um, the best two horses ran one, two. The best horse won. The second best horse ran second. And it was definitive. Um, it was certainly definitive. They were better than the others. And, you know, whether or not we see them forge ahead to the Kentucky Oaks or you see a different path that ends up in an acorn test, that remains to be seen. You know, listen, the horses, the grass is blue, ran third. She's a nice horse for Chad Brown, and Chad will probably point her to the, the right spots, like, you know, a Monmouth Oaks type thing or a Delaware Oaks. Um, and Lauban of Prayer ran fourth is a really nice New York bred, as, as the fifth finisher make mischief. I think the disappointment of the race was both um, desserts for Jimmy Jerkins. She had won on the same gold rail Miss Brazil had won on last time with a very big fig. She was a total no-show, and she was right on top of this pace. 
She's a better horse than that. Something may have just gone wrong in there. I wanted to ask you about lay down on prayer. Do you feel that like when you see these state breads come up and then go into the open company listed stakes, is there a certain, you know, type of number that you're looking for in the previous race or is it kind of just how you're matching them up horse by horse? Yeah, I, I don't worry about the state bred races. I think about who they ran against, the figs they ran. And I just didn't think those two horses were particularly good enough. Um, uh, you know, then they weren't, but I don't, I just, I, yeah, search results in Miss Brazil, they're, they're pretty good. And uh, this race, I think, assuming search results in Miss Brazil both stay sound, at the end of the year, you're going to say it was certainly no disgrace to be beaten a handful of lengths by those horses. I agree with you completely. Let's move on to our next race. It's the very next race, race number seven. One of my favorite races every single year, the grade three, the Tom Fool handicap, six furlongs on the dirt. Uh, I've always been a sprint stake fan. I just love when they can throw it down going as fast as possible. I know a lot more people like the classic races. I love seeing these guys. One of my favorites in here, Pete's play call. What did you uh, like in here, Andy? Well, I picked um, Wendell Fong over Chateau. I thought it was a good combination of the best closer and the best speed. Uh, I didn't like Pete's play call. I, I feel he's been a horse that's gotten two straight perfect trips that have made him look better than he is. I thought Share the Ride would, would run okay in here, though obviously the heavy workload and coming back two weeks after General George was a concern. To me, Happy Farm was a 100-to-1 shot. He wasn't as fast as Chateau going in as a speed horse and not as fast in the race. And I thought that you know what would happen was that Speed Pass would be bet a lot more heavily than he should, and I didn't see how Speed Pass, the Bob Baffert shipper, was competitive at all on paper in this race. So, I mean, I just looked at it that way and, and sort of by proximation, I picked the race 6-3-2. With a horse like Wendell Fong, I, I kind of just wrote in my notes, I was like, Hot Creek Hustle 2.0, even though they're also like pretty much almost the same age or they kind of ran the same type of races. And I feel like so many people see, you know, three speed horses and they go instantly, okay, those horses are up against it, got to find that closer. But I feel like a lot of time recently, Saratoga, Belmont, you'll see three or four speed horses and there's always that one jock that just takes them by the bootstraps and ends up going and getting the clear lead. And everyone a quarter in is all of a sudden like, Oh wait, he's four lengths in front of us and he's, you know, slowing it down. What are we doing? Yeah. There's a, a general lack of aggression by jockeys, particularly in New York where it seems like one person goes to lead and everybody else goes, Huh, I can't go. <laughs> and so what happens is we, we very rarely have, strong contested paces in New York anymore. And in some cases, of course, a race will look laden with speed and somebody who didn't even have enough speed is in front in a slow pace. And it's made handicapping very, very difficult because it's it's thrown in an incredible randomness factor. And trying to, for me as a handicapper, one of the keys is trying to determine how a race is going to be run. There's no longer a lot of sense in trying to do that in New York because it rarely comes to fruition. It does in other tracks. You know, I've, now that, you know, we're covering some other tracks in our show, I look at Churchill Downs and Oakland Park, and they do seem to be run in a more similar fashion than you would expect. In New York, it, it's, it's mind-boggling how just uncompetitive a lot of races end up. I didn't think the Tom Fool would end up that way. Because Chateau is a horse that throws the mantle down and he just goes. He's too fast. And I figured Happy Farm would try to keep up with him for a brief period of time and just wouldn't be able to. But you know Chateau is going to go fast. The question with him has always been his stamina. His last race was a real breakthrough performance from him. The question was, was he going to be capable to run back-to-back -back races? Trainer Rob Atris has 
very, very, very strong stats off wins with, with dirt horses and sprints. So it seemed like a possibility, but Chateau has also been a bit of a fraud throughout much of his career and sort of capable of blowing any lead at the 16th pole against lesser horses. Something I was excited to see was the number two share the ride coming back on such short rest. I, I feel like nowadays if a horse runs one big race, we don't see them again for four to six months. And it's nice to see horses coming back with uh, these short turnarounds. Is there anything of a negative? Like, obviously, I know you said you weren't like particularly looking forward to seeing him come back in two weeks, but... Did it seem to me when they're doing it nowadays, because everyone takes so much time off, I almost look at it as a positive because they think the horse must just be raring to go and ready to get back on the racetrack. I guess it's probably horse specific. You know, that's the guess you have to make. I don't worry about it that much. He's had a pretty heavy workload, though. He's run a lot of races over a period of time. And so, but I, I just prefer other horses to him. I wasn't as concerned about the layoff going in as, as, as I was just, I just sort of prefer other horses. For me, it was the number one Pete's play call. For Andy, it was the six and the number three. Let's see who wins this grade three right now. Bit of a bobble there at the start for number five, Speed Pass. And he's at the back of the pack. Up front, it is Chateau who has the early lead. With Happy Farm on the outside running in second. The front two have two and a half lengths as Speed Pass now moves into third. Share the ride is next in a fourth. Followed by Wendell Fong. And Pete's play call trails the field in sixth. It is Chateau with the lead here through a quarter, 22 and four-fifth seconds. A sharp opening first quarter for Chateau, who leads here by a little more than two. Speed pass running in second. Down on the inside is Share the Ride, who's moved up to third. Then Happy Farm, Wendell Fong, and the trailer is Pete's play call. And they are chasing Chateau, who has built a three-and-a-half-length lead at the top of the stretch. Ran the half in 46 seconds. It is Chateau now in front by five. Speed pass in second. And Wendell Thong is next in third. It is Chateau, who leads inside the eighth pole. Chateau leads by seven lengths. The battle will be for second. It is Chateau to take the Tom Fool handicap in front-running fashion. Chateau the winner. And the number three, Chateau, gets it done paying 960 with a 100 buyer. I guess when you're looking for a speed jock to have, Kendrick's pretty much the way to go here in New York. I guess. I mean, I, you know, I, I actually think that Kendrick gets a, a raw deal where people talk about him like he's some, like he's early fires, who's probably before your time, who <laughs> seem to send every horse the lead. I think Kendrick's very good at a speed horse, but I don't see him as a speed crazy rider. He's the right horse, right rider on a right horse, I guess, in this case. And Chateau just. I mean, he's just turned the corner. He's a very different horse than he was in the past. And I think his connections are being wise in not trying to stretch him beyond six furlongs going forward. We'll see, you know. We'll see if he can continue to run these kind of races when the competition gets tougher. I thought that Wendell Fong ran just fine in finishing second year when you consider the race was completely dominated in the front end. Uh, I thought he ran just fine finishing second. He just wasn't good enough in here. And, and frankly, Speed Passer finished third, who blew the break. I mean, you know, while he wasn't close and, and beaten almost seven lengths, he ran better than I expected to him. I'm not surprised at all that Pete's play call was a bad fourth. He didn't get the same perfect trip he had been getting. He got shuffled back early in the race. And share the ride, um, he was awful. I mean, so maybe he was feeling the effects. He didn't run a step. He was dead last. He was brutal. This may not be the best question for you. Maybe better for Bayer or Nick Tamaro. But it seems like to me, except for Chateau, everyone kind of just went off the rails. I mean, Wendell Fong went down seven points, almost 10 for speed pass, you know, 15 for Pete's play call. Obviously, Pete's play call coming off those two perfect races, there's a reason for him 
uh, regressing, but it seemed like a lot of lower numbers here in this race. And I know, I, I think it was over the weekend, people were saying that the track looked like it was playing a little bit slower than usual. Well, the, the track had been slow throughout the winter, and then mm -hmm. it started speeding up over the last three weeks. But coinciding with speeding up was that we had this ridiculous gold rail situation, and the track was much slower this week, but fortunately the track was also fairer. Mm -hmm. But the track was slow, you know, about 12 final time, got 100 buyer. I think if you look at Wendell Fong, he ran a similar figure to most of his races, just not as good as his prior race. Yeah. And so, you know, and as far as Pete's play call, he, he got a lot, you know, he's gotten very, very good trips. And now he got a lousy trip and the dynamics worked against him. And, you know, speed pass, what did he probably run, mid-80s? Well, yeah. a lot of his career has been in the mid-80s and he also blew the brakes. So I don't think he ran that badly. I think he kind of ran his race. And I think that it's Pete's play call and share the ride. Pete's play call was a bit dressed up, and he probably didn't run his good race anyway, and he didn't have a great trip. And share the ride was just a complete total no-show here. He was absolutely brutal. So for whatever reason, he was bad, and uncharacteristically bad, because he's usually pretty consistent. I like the way you broke that down, too, saying how speed passed. You know, if you look at his races, you know, 85, 95, 80, 81, 82, and a 93. So, you know, he's either in that mid-90 or mid-80. So and this time he ended up running a mid-80. So for people to say, and I guess I am wrong now looking back at it, you know, he kind of he ran one of his two levels of racing. He's either the mid-80 or the high or the mid-90. And he didn't get a great trip in doing yeah. it. So that accounts for it. And once again, you know, his, his, his race dynamics were lousy when he blew the brake. You don't want to be a, a sprinter who has speed um, and blow the brake, especially in a race that gets wired. I, I think, too, looking back at the race as well, just when you kind of look, if you have the, like the negative you had on the Baffer and Pete's play call getting these perfect trips, Chateau is the only one who's really improving and is going to be able to show some speed in here. And when, you know, you look at a horse that's four for eight at Aqueduct, obviously likes the, the course. Maybe he's not the horse for course, but when I see four of the six lifetime wins, obviously if they're on the New York, New York circuit, he can only race at three tracks. But I just think that maybe he's stepping into his own. I think that this seven to two odds you got here were really, really good value. I don't know. You know, I, I, I mean, I think that this was one of those races where my opinion was okay. I don't know what that necessarily means. He was great value. I, you know, Shadow's a tough horse because he's never shown that he could beat quality horses. And until his last race, I think one of the reasons I was more inclined to like him was at Timeform US, which makes pace based numbers. Um, they had his last race rated extremely high and even very high for him. So I thought that was a very, very promising possibility. So I, I thought his last, to me, I was surprised he held on as well as he did last time and he wasn't quitting and he's been such a quitter for much of his career that I thought there was a chance that this might be the right spot. Plus you're in a situation where I didn't like Pete's play call. I didn't trust you the ride. And, you know, so maybe it was a situation where he might be in the right spot, whether or not the next time uh, is the right spot remains to be seen. Let's move on to the next race, race number eight, the 125,000 Heavenly Prize Invitational going one mile on the dirt. Nice little comeback for Lake Avenue last time out, eight to five on the morning line. What did you like in here, Andy? I, I picked Thankful. I, I saw Thankful in Lake Avenue, like most people, as the only two major contenders, though I did think on Glimmering had run very well in her last race, and she was a possible upsetter. I saw nobody else as being competitive in here. Um, I picked Thankful because I thought she might be a slightly better price. Uh, I, I was right and wrong. She wasn't a slightly better price. She was totally dead to the board. They bet the race like Lake Avenue couldn't lose. Because Lake Avenue had been a terrific two-year-old, was a disaster as a three-year-old, and then she ran one big race at Gulfstream. And whereas Thankful had run three straight solid races, 
and you've got Dilmont with one of them and Todd Fletcher with the other, so there's no reason you're supposed to be overly concerned that one of them won't show up. And I just thought you've got a horse that's been running well in New York. It's going to be a bigger price than the two. She's running figures that are as fast, if not faster than Lake Avenue. So I thought she was probably a better gamble. Um, but they, I mean, I don't think there were too many players that went too deep beyond those two. Um, Gon Glimmering had run exceptionally well last time. Another horse, if you look at time form U.S., had a very big figure, pace base, based in her last race. So I thought with Linda Rice, who has good numbers off wins, maybe she's turning into a new horse and she could take another step forward, especially if either or both the favorites don't run their race. There was no other horse in this race that I thought had any chance whatsoever to win. I think for me, looking at it in the long run, I ended up picking Lake Avenue. Probably not the right pick in the long run. Just took so much money. And I feel that when you see a horse do so well at two and then so bad at three and then that comeback race... It was off the pace. There was slow pace involved. She broke a step slow. I just, I thought maybe she'd all of a sudden just reverted kind of the Jekyll Hyde version and just was ready to get back yep. to being a good racehorse. And if I if I like her, I can't like thankful from playing verticals. And I was trying to like not go too deep here because I thought I could kind of cut the the market up if I only went one deep. I ended up playing an exacta. The only other horse I could really find was the number five Portal Creek for me. I just thought the go for one over a sloppy track last time out, the nice 97. And then two back. just two back, bro. two back. Sorry. And then the, the race last time out, just such a hot pace up front. She's, she's supposed to back up. Didn't run a good figure. I thought if we can get back to that go for one. Maybe she can show a little bit something at, at almost eight to one. You know, I was ready to kind of play just the Lake Avenue portal Creek, just solid on top. Um, yeah. I, I had a different opinion. I mean, the one thing to say about Lake Avenue is, she had a real change of running style last time. She said she broke slow, though, trying to see the starts of mile races and determine how slowly horses break at Gulfstream. It's like trying to, um, you know, find the proverbial needle in the haystack. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's so hard to watch their races because of those camera angles. Yes. Let us see who wins the Heavenly Prize. For Andy, it was number two thankful. For me, it was a straight exact of Lake Avenue and Portal Creek. Let's listen to John Membrial with the call right now. And they're off. Lake Avenue broke well on the outside, but there goes Portal Creek now to take the early lead. And from the inside, it is gone, glimmering, moving up as they uh, move up the chute. It is Portal Creek, the leader, gone, glimmering, runs in second. And then it is Flash and Dynamite next in third. Lake Avenue in the clear on the outside, running in fourth. It's almost three lengths. Back to uh, Thankful, who is next in fifth. Needs supervision is alongside and in sixth. Then Landing Zone in seventh. And farther back is Halo City, who trails the field in eighth. The opening quarter, 23 and three-fifth seconds. And it is Portal Creek showing the way here, setting the pace, leading here by a length. On the outside is Flash and Dynamite, big long shot in second. Gone Glimmering is down at the rail in third. Then the favorite, Lake Avenue, in fourth, three lengths from the lead. There's a break of another three to Need Supervision, who's running in fifth. Thankful is dropping back here in sixth. Halo City now moves up down towards the rail, and the trailer is landing zone. The half was run in 48 seconds. Portal Creek, Flash and Dynamite, Lake Avenue now moves up. She's about to make her move here as they come for the quarter pole. It is Portal Creek. Here is Lake Avenue, who now sweeps to the front. It is Lake Avenue, the leader, with an eighth of a mile to the finish, and she's drawing away here in the stretch. Lake Avenue opens up in front by four. Then Portal Creek, Flash and Dynamite, and needs supervision. 
No doubt about this winner, it is Lake Avenue. Much the best in the Heavenly Prize. Won by a half dozen lengths. And the number eight, Lake Avenue gets it done, paying three ninety with an 89 buyer. Just a horse that I think maybe she is changing the corner a little bit and coming back now out as a four-year-old, but didn't improve off that last race, so now you kind of have no idea what to really do with her. Well, congrats. You were right. Portal Creek ran second, so nice call exactly by you at uh, $32. So that was a great pick. Um, Lake Avenue, yeah, she, she she probably maybe improved a little bit off her last effort. She was a dominant winner of this race, a lot of it because Thankful was a complete and utter no-show, and as was God delivering, I had horrible opinions with them. Um, they ran seventh and eighth. Uh, Lake Avenue is, at this point, too slow to compete with the best horses, many of the best Two older horses at this point would have to be considered Swiss Skydiver and um, Monomoy Girl. Uh, she's going to have to get a lot faster. She's never run a buyer figure out of the 80s, and she's a good five lengths. I mean, I think Monomoy Girl, while she's an incredibly admirable and cool horse, she's overrated because of her record. I mean, I, I don't want to knock a horse that always seems to win, but she's never running big figures. Swiss Skydiver, in my opinion, is a faster, better horse. She, you know, uh, Lake Avenue is not inhaling distances that. Bill Mott will take his chances, though. Bill Mott's not a guy that, 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 you know, he shies away from competition. So Lake Avenue will get her chance to take a crack at the bigger horses going forward. Whether or not she's good enough remains to be seen. At least she's turned it around from her disastrous three-year-old year, uh, as far as thankful. I mean, she was never a contender. There's never a point in the race where she looked good and got glimmering. Um, she just couldn't get comfortable towards the pace and backed up to finish an atrocious last. When you see a horse like Thankful just run so bad, I mean, she, she ran literally her worst figure of her career. Do you just do you spend a lot of time trying to think why that horse may have run so bad to make a decent note for it for next time out, or is it kind of just like we'll see where she ends up and then make the note from there? Well, I mean, I'm going to think about why as much as did something happen in the race that gives her a legitimate excuse. I didn't see it. You know, unless she got, you know, you know, um, um, you know, while I wasn't looking, the Invisible Man grabbed a hold of her. I saw nothing about a race to say that she had any excuse whatsoever, and she would be a horse I'd be inclined to be playing against going forward because she was atrocious without an excuse I could see. The question with her is, will we see her in the near future? Let's move on. Maybe went badly wrong. Agreed. Let's move on to the last race. It's the race everyone's been waiting to talk and hear about. The grade three, Gotham, one mile on the dirt. What'd you like in here, Andy? I like highly motivated, the heavy favorite. I didn't expect him to be four to five, but I mean, he ran a big number winning at Keeneland last time. The fastest figure, buyer figure anybody got on the day of the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. And horses have come out of that race and run big numbers. I thought he was going to be very, very tough to beat in here. Uh, I did not like the second-choice Freedom Fighter, who I didn't expect to get a mile for Bob Baffert, and I wasn't convinced he was that good. I thought that Capo Kane would run better. He was the one price I was interested. I picked him second in here. Even though he couldn't get the lead, I thought his race last time the winners was promising and that the pace fell apart. My concern was he just wasn't really good enough, and maybe he just was the only speed that held it all in the winners because nobody else was any good in the race. And I thought Crowded Trade, who I picked third, was, was an interesting horse moving forward. Um, his maiden was visually impressive, and we'll see what we get from him. The others look like outliers to me. Um, I was a fairly chalkier, but the only horse in you know, the second choice I was against, Freedom Fighter. I feel like with the number five crowded trade, too, just my thought 
first off was a great maiden win first time out and maybe this might be a little bit too quick i know they're probably either they're trying to get him on the derby trail but maybe this will be a horse that you know we see down the road that might be able to do a little bit better with those you know the minor stakes the remington etc something like that well being that i'm friendly with chad brown and seth Harmon, who owns him i would say that's not true the last thing that they're ever looking to do is force a horse on the derby trail Okay. I think that was evidence from Cloud Computing, who could have run the Derby, and they waited for Preakness. They're never going to put their horses in spots just to try to win the Derby. You just won't see it. Um, and it's interesting with Crowded Trade, because when I talked to Chad Brown, and listen, this is something that I would know that you wouldn't know, after his maiden win, Chad said to me, I'm going to give him a while until his next race, because I, you know, watching that race, it's hard for me to believe that race didn't take a great deal out of him. So I don't know how quickly we'll bring him back. So, and I never talked to him about him subsequent to that race, but the fact that he was ready to bring him back, what, six weeks, five weeks later, basically, said to me, he must be doing really well because Chad would bring him back. Now, I think it's important to note that there are four horses that ran the Gotham, Weyburn, Crowded Trade, Atlantic Road, and the Reds that all wanted to run in non-winners of one. They were the only four that entered, and four more entered, the other four entered the Gotham. So we scrapped the, 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 the non-winners of one race, and all the non-winners of one horses ran this race. So Weyburn, Crowded Trade, Atlantic Road, and the Reds, they all wanted to run in non-winners of one. They went in this race because that race didn't fill, for better or for worse. And I think that's always interesting. You know, I, I feel like a lot of people don't look at the condition book, and you know, obviously maybe they wouldn't know if races filled or not, but I feel like I look at the condition book enough, especially when I'm at Saratoga, you know, looking at, at least through the indexing, what dates certain races are going, and I think that definitely can help you in your handicapping. I think it's also very interested. I was confused when I saw both of them, that being number five crowded trade, and then also highly motivated coming back in this spot. Because for me, when I see Chad with two in here, I was almost wondering which one he liked a little bit better. Well, he had been pointing highly motivated this race for over two months. Mm -hmm. um, I will say in talking to him, he said, I think they both can win. Um, it's not, you know, you're not talking about somebody this is focused i mean this is these are preps for the triple crown yeah. or the rest of the year so what you want to see from both of them are good races winning it would be great but a good performance is what really matters you know it's different people look at things differently and obviously you always want to win but other than that seeing them run well is going to make owners happy and trainers happy and i think that's what you're looking for out of that start you're looking for crowd trade can he move forward can he run tougher competition is highly motivated. Can he be effective at a mile? Has he progressed from two to three? Those are the questions with them, just as Bob Babbert's wondering, can Freedom Fighter be effective going longer than seven furlongs? All those questions are about to be answered. Let's hear John Embryol with the call of the grade three Gotham right now. From the outside, it is Freedom Fighter who flashes his speed and quickly opens up by two lanes here. Capo Kane's running in second, Wayburn's on the outside in third, and Crowded Trade is next in fourth. Wipe the slate. Moving up in between horses down towards the rail, steadying there, was highly motivated, highly motivated, had to steady as the field crossed over from the chute to the main track. And it is Freedom Fighter with the lead here over Weyburn through a quarter in 24 and one-fifth seconds. Then it's the trio of a crowded trade. Capo Kane, wipe the slate, is down at the rail. Highly motivated is running in sixth. On the outside, the Reds is next in seventh, and Atlantic Road is in eighth. Freedom Fighter leads here by three-quarters of a length. 
Long shot, Weyburn on the outside runs in second, and the opening half was run in 48 seconds, and Freedom Fighter is in front here by a half length. Weyburn is in second. It's a length and a half to Crowded Trade. Wipe the Slate is dropping back. Capo Kane is down towards the rail, then highly motivated, and the Reds. Freedom Fighter is the leader as they come for the top of the stretch. Weyburn runs in second. Crowded trade up on the outside in third. Capo Kane is fourth. And then highly motivated in fifth. Three quarters went in one, 12 and four. And here comes crowded trade on the outside. Now to grab the lead. Weyburn continues to battle on. Down at the rail is Freedom Fighter in third. Highly motivated is in fourth. It is crowded trade. And on the inside it is Weyburn. Crowded trade. Weyburn continues to battle on as they come for the finish in the Gotham, Weyburn and Crowded Trade. Oh, it's a bang bang finish. Was it Weyburn on the inside or Crowded Trade on the outside? A terrific duel in the Gotham. And the number eight, Weyburn gets it done on the line, paying 95.50. 95 buyer, and man, Crowded Trade ran so well. Just such a heart heartbreaker for him to lose that one. Yeah, I think the first three all ran well, and you know, as far as that knowledge of one, I think Dave Brennan did write about that before the race. So people that were reading, you should always read. Everybody should read Dave's stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't some sort of secret. But, you know, there's Jimmy Jerkins. And, you know, anyone that knows Jimmy, he's got a little of that <laughs> fodder in him, you know, where he's, yeah, the knowledge of one didn't go. <laughs> you know, of course, <laughs> it's horse racing. And sometimes that, you know, it's that built-in excuse afterwards. I didn't want to run him here anyway. Whereas like Atlantic Road, who finished last in the year, um, but in this case, and Jimmy was pretty upfront about it. He's like, I didn't want to ride here. I wanted to run the allowance race, and it worked really well. You know, Wayburn uh, run a very good uh, maiden race well back at the Aqueduct meet, and I bet him that day 14 to 1, and he ran a good second beyond the Tom Albertrani horse that's unfortunately sort of disappeared. And then he broke his maiden on Cigar Mile Day, the day that many maiden winners have gone on to win grade ones. I think the number's eight or nine, and in the slop, and then he had. You know, he had been scratched out of a race with an issue. He was supposed to run like Jimmy Wingfield. Then he had another issue. It's a very big horse. I thought he ran terrific in the year. And I, I was thrilled for Trevor McCarthy, who I think's had a great winter here and really shown that he's a rider who's maybe ready to take that step forward into the, the, the higher echelon, the top echelon of riders. A very alert rider. Gave him a good ride. I thought Cancel gave Crowder Trade a very good ride. Crowder Trade got left a little in here, but not nearly as badly as he's in his debut. And I remember Chad Brown said to me after his debut, I wasn't surprised at all that he broke slowly, and that worried me. And he, I thought he ran terrific in the air. He didn't finish it off. He looked like a winner. I think you have to ask up a little bit, is it immaturity or is he a horse that maybe he doesn't want to go beyond a mile or maybe he's just you know lightly raced? And highly motivated, had trouble. He broke slow, which which you know didn't help him. It's happened to him in the past. He broke about a half slow. He got stayed badly, so he lost some position. So I think he ran a winning race. The trip wasn't as good as the winner, the winner in the second horse. But I thought he ran a very credible race in finishing third. Um, Bob Baffert's horse, you know, had everything his own way. He was on the pace with the first and second horses. He just couldn't finish it up, going a mile. And the rest of them just really were non-competitive. But uh, I think it was a nice performance by all the top three. And we know Wayburn's going to the, the wood. Um, highly motivated is likely to go to the bluegrass if they're staying on the Triple Crown Trail with the same connections, having risk-taking in the Wood Memorial, and, you know, and, and Highly Motivated Ray run very well at Keeneland before. I have no idea what they're doing with Crowded Trey at all, but I, I think we saw really nice performances. The race got a 95 buyer, and I thought this was an excellent running of the Gotham. 
I tend to agree with you. I think, too, this is kind of a race where if you split it right down the middle, the top four are kind of ones that you want to look forward to going forward. And the Reds, Capital Cane, White the Slate, Atlantic Road, maybe those type of horses will be ones we'll have to, you know, try the allowance uh, fields until we can try to get up and see what they can do and, you know, maybe lesser stakes than just the Gotham. Yeah, I hope that the connections to Capital Cane are not – I hope they're discouraged from the Triple Crown Trail, but they're not discouraged about running them in some good spots because I think Capital Cane is a nice horse. Mm-hmm. He's just not as good as these horses, and he needs probably to be in a controlling position to run his best race. That doesn't mean there aren't some good paydays for him going forward. What do you feel was just the, the turn of improvement for Waver? And obviously the figures aren't anywhere near the, the other horses out of the top three or four. Do you think that it was just kind of the good ride by Trevor and also the fact that I think sometimes people just forget Jimmy Jerkins, you know, when they're stretching him out, sprinter out, you know, just, just one of the best at it in the game. He improved. He's a very big horse, so maybe a little more distance was good for him. And Jimmy had said that his last two workouts were exceptional. So he did feel he was coming in this race very strongly. I didn't like him. He was my fifth pick. He shouldn't have been 46 to 1. He probably should have been 20 to 25 to 1. But, I mean, he was more likely to me to win his wipe the slate. He was the same price as the Reds. I would like to have, you know, bet a couple hundred bucks that he would finish ahead of the Reds. I don't think he should have paid. You know, twenty dollars, but I think he should have paid closer to forty than ninety. Um, they're three-year-olds; they're lightly raced. He improved, and he's been working well. And he is a horse that's pedigree. He's a finer than Nile from an APMD dam. I mean, if that doesn't say you want to get better with distance, I don't know what does. I I think too for me covering all these different racetracks, I'd covered fairgrounds and uh, talked to Brian Natto, and it was when Mandaloon had lost. Uh, the prep a couple back, and then it'd come back to win the, the next prep at the fairgrounds. And in the subsequent prep that he lost at 4-5, to five, just like highly motivated, he had still improved his buyer figure from an 82 to an 89. I said, everyone's so upset because they bet this horse, and, you know, he lost. He still had improved, and I think going forward this horse can improve again, which he did. I kind of feel with highly motivated he didn't improve the buyer, but off that long layoff, I think a 92 is a good starting point for the year. And if he improves, you know, gets that, you know, high 90, low 100, he can be very, very dangerous going forward. Yeah, and also, don't forget, he had trouble in there. Mm-hmm. Unlike the first two finishers and really anybody else in there, he had legitimate trouble. So you take the trouble out, this figure's probably in the mid to higher 90s, he probably wins the race. It's a very different scenario. So he's fine. I think the question with highly motivated is whether or not you ultimately think that he's a horse that's going to flourish with more distance. Um, I don't. I think there's reason to be circumspect. He's a horse that could do well in the bluegrass and easily skip the derby and point for the preakness. Um, so... You know, whether or not he ends up being a horse that's in those races or is he a, a Woody Stevens, Alan Jerkins type horse, that remains to be seen. The one thing they'll, they won't do with him is try to fit a, fit, a, fit a square peg into a round hole. Some questions were answered this weekend. Some questions are now have arisen. That's the end of this podcast. Thank you so much, Andy, for coming on. Where can people find you on social media? At Andy Sterling. At- I just, you know, Spencer, I just assumed everybody knew. I, I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, the way people talk about how many people you've blocked in their career, you would think you're on the number one list of blocks in the entire Twitter Twitterverse. You know, there are very few people that I have blocked that don't richly deserve it, despite what they seem to think. <laughs> Thanks again. We'll talk soon. Thanks again to my special guest, Annie Sorting, for taking some time out of his day to spend with us on this pod, and to you, the, the listeners, for listening, giving feedback. And asking questions, making this podcast possible. This show is my production of In the Money Media. In the Money Media's president is Peter Thomas Borentel. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. 
and our In the Money Media Business Manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time. Nowhere to hide from our love